MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is The Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warmer fellow you low. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Eason Family of Podcasts, and we do have a great podcast where he's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by Danny Burke. He does a terrific job over at the VEASAN. You're able to catch him on the show Rush Hour. That is every Monday through Friday. If you're out there in the Central Time Zone where Danny's at in Chicago, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time on the West Coast, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time, Eastern Time, 6 to 7. And if you're in a different time zone, please do do the math. But with that said, he does an absolutely amazing job taking a look at everything that we've got all across a wide variety of sports. Baseball is one of his specialties. And in the second segment, we're going to ask him about the rivalry going down in Chicago. White Sox and the Cubs are doing battle in an intercity series, so that's going to be a lot of fun. What we've been able to take away from both the American League and the National League Central as well, and just how bad are the Cincinnati Reds. So, we're going to have a great chat in the second segment, and by the way, if you're looking for a little bit more Chicago sports talk, he also does the Chicago CityCast. You're able to find that wherever you get this fine podcast. That's a podcast all dedicated to Chicago sports. Does a great job there, and at VEASAN, we've got a lot of these CityCasts. We've got one for like Washington, D.C. Daniel Alvari does a great job with the one for Los Angeles. Will Hill does a great job with the one from New York. Holden Kushner holds it down in Denver. So you've got a lot of them. These people do amazing work. Danny, he does an amazing job with the Chicago City Cast. So we're going to be joined by him in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. Going to have 17 games because saw a pair of rainouts on Tuesday. And if there 
is a question, comment, segment, idea, one of you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline any other ways. Find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Them from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review and... Hey, hey, we wound up seeing some overs on Tuesday. Let's take a look back at everything that we wanted getting in the MLB on Tuesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. By my math, we wound up seeing overs wind up going 9-5 and five in baseball on Tuesday. So it was very interesting to say the least. Although, if you're looking at unders and doubleheaders, Game two of doubleheaders are now 5-0 and oh to the under. So let's take a look at Mets versus Braves because game one wound up going over 5-4. to four. Mets wound up getting the job done in game one. Charlie Morton, well, he was looking like he was more like at Morton's Steakhouse because he gave up five runs, four of which were earned, was hurt by his own fielding error in the process. Matt Olson was able to get a home run off of Dave Peterson. Great name, not such a great stat line. Gives up four runs, three of which were earned, including that homer over the course of five innings. But bullpens really both did their work as Drew Smith, two scoreless innings, Adam Adovino, Edwin Diaz. They give you a scoreless setting apiece. And for the Atlanta Braves, you did wind up having two and a third scoreless out of Jesse Chavez as well, but just a little bit too much Mets offense. And the Mets, they wind up going to 17 and 8 with that win. And then they would go to 18 and 8 a few hours later as they wind up getting it done. 3-0 against the Bravos. Braves go OEV 11 with men in scoring position as Kyle Wright, a tough luck loser, gives up three runs over the course of seven innings, giving up home run in the process. Pete Alonso, fifth home run season, and Carlos Carrasco did a good job stranding men on base. Eight scoreless innings, Seth Lugo. He's able to give you a scoreless ninth as you also wound up having a scoreless inning out of Will Smith for the Braves, who was able to get jiggy with it. So that was a double dip that went the way of the Mets. And I believe in now four of these five doubleheaders, the team that won game one, won game two. I would need to double check that, but we've seen a lot of sweeps in those. Here's something else we're seeing. Teams beating up on the Cincinnati Reds. They are now 1-18 and in their last 19 games, and all but one of those losses have been by multiple runs. 6-3, the Brewers embarrass them. And, hey, for the Reds, they were able to put up a couple runs. Mike Bustakis, a former Brewer, gets his first home run season off of Brandon Woodruff, and Woodruff would allow one to Tommy Pham. Pham gets his fourth home run season as Woodruff does wind up getting 12 punch outs but gives up those two home runs, three runs in total over the course of five and two-thirds innings. But it was Aaron Ashby who came on two and a third inning scoreless and then Devin Williams was able to get the save. He winds up throwing 13 pitches in the process as for the Brewers, Rowdy Tellez was able to get his fifth home run of the season. So he got Rowdy on that one and William Thomas was able to get his sixth for Tellez. Winds up going deep off of Philip Deal who I believe is the only left-hander right now for the Reds in that bullpen and Tyler Molly who won King the start instead of one Vladimir Gutierrez. Well, shifting around the starts probably didn't do any good. Gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of three and a third innings. Expanding his ERA to a 7-0-1. Alexis Diaz and Jeff Hoffman both gave you five outs out of the bullpen, but it's been a rough year for the Reds, and they are the only team in Major League Baseball playing more than 55% of their games to the over, though the Arizona Diamondbacks have had a couple recent overs, and the Arizona Diamondbacks have now won as at least a plus-145 underdog in six out of their last eight games. Five 
5-4. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins. Umberto Castellanos winds up delivering a really good start. Five and two-thirds inning scoreless. Very nearly was lit on fire by Luis Frias, so he winds up giving up four runs while getting just two outs, but Kyle Nelson, along with Caleb Smith, were both able to give you a few outs out of the bullpen, and then you have Keenan Middleton give you a scoreless inning, and Joe Manette Tipley was able to get the save as he wound up having a pair of bombs here for Arizona. Christian Walker, sixth home run season. Paven Smith, his second as Trevor Rogers. He's off to a rough start this year. He gives up those two home runs, all five runs of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and four and a third innings. That's a 614 ERA. All three of you guys that want to coming in from the bullpen, by the way, left with an ERA of a 1-5 or lower. Anthony Bass and Stephen O'Kirk both give you a scoreless inning, and Cody Poteet, two and two-thirds innings scoreless. So the Diamondbacks get another win as an underdog. The Texas Rangers as a sizable underdog. They get it done, taking down the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of six of four as 55 shades of John Gray. Well, he wound up throwing 60 pitches in this one, so only five more than that, giving up three runs over the course of three innings. But the Rangers' bullpen went to work from there. Matt Bush does wind up giving up a solo home run in his inning of work going deep for the Philadelphia Phillies. JT Ryu Muto, second home run season, but other than that, these guys were spotless. Dennis Santana and Brock Burke combined to be able to give you three scoreless innings. John King, Joe Barlow. They both give you a scoreless inning as well. And for one Rangers, what is? He was hurt badly by an Alec Bohm fielding error, giving up five runs, three of which were earned over the course of five innings. Now, didn't help himself out with the two home runs that he wanted giving up. Mitch Carver and Jonah Heim both wound up getting their third home run in the campaign, but bullpen from there was able to do their job. Nick Nelson, two scoreless innings. You wind up having Sir Anthony Dominguez and Andrew Bellotti both give you a scoreless inning, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, a little bit of a rough one in this one. And Abe, for the Philadelphia Phillies, if you're looking at over teams at home, they have actually been one of your better over teams out there in Major League Baseball, as I believe that they have now played each out of their last five games at home to the over. The last under was that game that Angel Hernandez was behind the dish for against the Milwaukee Brewers, which we all remember that one. DK Nation play was on the over in Twins versus Orioles, and we got there in the ninth inning, 7-2, the final, as you do have the Minnesota Twins get a big home run from Ryan Jeffers in the sixth inning, his third home run season. Orioles entered into the day with a league average bullpen ERA. That wound up ballooning as Keegan Aiken gives up two runs in two innings. Joey Kreebel gives up three runs in his inning, including that home run, and Paul Fry needs to get a inning out of the bullpen scoreless. Bruce Zimmerman, two ends on Zimmerman, gives up two runs over the course of five innings, and for the Orioles, this continues to be a team that's averaging right around like 3.2 runs per game. They have actually been one of your best under teams at all baseball, although this one wound up going a little bit of the opposite right way. They did wind up getting two runs off of Joe Ryan over the course of four and two-thirds innings, but they couldn't get anything off the bullpen. Cody Sashek, a scoreless inning, Taylor Duffy, Caleb Theobar, one and two-thirds innings, scoreless, so the demise of the Orioles continues as they are now 8-16, and 16. and for the Minnesota Twins, don't look now, but they're 15-9, and nine. so it's been going well for them, and the Twins, five-plus runs in now eight out of their last 11 games. The LA Dodgers wind up being able to cover the run line against the San Francisco Giants by a count of 3-1. to one. Just nothing doing for the Giants on offense as you wind up having one Julio Arias deliver six scoreless innings. May not be able to get the 20 wins they wanted getting last season, but Buck 88 thus far this season, he's been solid. Bruce Hutter did wind up giving up a run while getting just one out of the bullpen, but Alex Nasia, pair of outs out of the pen, Craig Gimbrell, Danny Hudson. They close things down in the 8th and ninth innings, and for the San Francisco Giants, not a bad performance here by one Carlos Rodan. Now, his strikeout numbers were way down, just three punch outs in six innings, but gives up two runs in total. John Breba gives up a run out of the bullpen in an inning, and Jose Alvarez, he winds up coming in. He does not wind up giving up a run in his inning, but just not a lot doing for the San Francisco Giants on offense. 
quite a bit doing for both of these teams on offense as the Tampa Bay Rays, who wound up getting down in this game by kind of 5-1 to one in the first inning, come all the way back to win 10-7 to seven in extras. For the Tampa Bay Rays, you wound up having a clutch home run in the ninth inning by Mike Zanino, second home run season off of Kirby Snead, and then Brett Phillips in the second inning takes Mr. Blackburn deep. Paul Blackburn should be walking the plank after that one, giving up three runs over the course of four and a third innings, including Phillips' second home run season. From there, the bullpen was relatively solid until Kirby Snead wound up lighting the game on fire, giving up those two runs off of that Zanino home run, but did have Zach Jackson give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, A.J. Puck, two scoreless innings. If you ask me, he should be a starter at some point. Danny Menace winds up giving you a squirrel saying, and then Lou Trevino, fresh off the injured list. You might want to go back on the injured list. He gives up five runs, four of which were earned while getting two outs. He certainly hurt the team in that one. And then Justin Grimm gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen as well. And for the Tampa Bay race, you have Ryan Yarbrough get completely let up in this one. Five runs given up in two and a third innings. They would not allow another run until the 10th inning, though. As Ryan Thompson, one and a third inning scoreless. Jeffrey Springs has become a good long guy for this team. Three and a third inning scoreless. Matt Weisler, along with Andrew Kittrich, give you a scoreless setting. And then Jason Adam gives up two runs, one of which was earned in that 10th inning with the Ghost Runners. So the Rays are able to get it done. The Seattle Mariners, they were not able to get it done. Zero runs scored as they fall to the Houston Astros by kind of four to zero. Just not a lot doing. Oh, of two with men in scoring position and Chris Flexen gives up one run in five innings and he takes a loss. That's what's called the tough luck loser right there. Dubai giving up a home run to Jordan Alvarez. Fifth home run season at Jose Altuve. Fresh off the injured list. Winds up getting his second home run season. That comes off of Matthew Festa. Festa gives up a run in an inning. You had Anthony Machevich and Diego Castillo both give up a run apiece while they combine for an inning and you do wind up getting a scoreless inning out of Penn Murphy but nothing to him for the Mayor as you wound up having one Christian Avier give five and a third inning scoreless, giving up to Stewart's in the process. Blake Taylor, one and two thirds inning scoreless, and then Phil Mayton and Brian Abreu were able to close it out. Scoreless eighth and ninth innings. The St. Louis Cardinals have been playing quite a few overs recently. They have been a team that has been relatively solid with that regard. Most of them have come at home. This one came on the road, and this one came because their pitching was not necessarily so solid. 7-1, the Royals are able to get it done as the Woodford. Jake Woodford gives up two runs in one and two-thirds innings to TJ McFarlane. Two outs in a third of an inning out of the bullpen to Cody Hudson. Not a great start. He winds up giving up three runs on nine hits over the course of six innings, including a bomb going deep for the Kansas City Royals. Bobby Wood Jr., his first career home run, and for Brad Thunder Keller, he was Thunder. Six and a third inning scoreless. Colin Sider gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. You did have Amir Garrett give up a run in an inning, but he was able to hold it down, and then Gabe Spear was able to give you a scoreless inning to be able to get it done for the St. Louis Cardinals. One of five with men in scoring position. Meanwhile, the Royals, a team that has been averaging a little bit over three runs per game. Four of 13 with men in scoring position. So they get it done there. For the Colorado Rockies, they've been one of your better home teams out there in Major League Baseball, but the Nationals are able to get them 10-2 to the final. As Washington Nationals all of a sudden have been able to do a little bit of something on the road. They're 6-5 on the road, and at home they are 3-11, which that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But with that said, you did wind up having Josh Bell be able to go deep in his game. He does wind up being able to collect his third home run season. And Juan Soto able to get his fifth. Those both come off of one. Irma Marquez, who has been having a rough season thus far. Gives up seven runs over the course of five innings. He just has like two of these starts every year. Where he gives up five plus, giving up two home runs in the process. Tie block. He wound up beating innings, giving up two runs over the course of three innings. Justin Lawrence, he gives up a run in an inning. You did have C.J. Crone for the Colorado Rockies. Tied the league lead with his ninth home run of the season. And you would have Aaron Judge in the Yankees game get his ninth as well. We'll get to that in a minute. But that wanted coming off of Irasamoto. He gives up that home run in an inning out of the bullpen. But Paulo Espeno was able to give you a scoreless 
setting in. Eric Fetty-Wap, who has been having a not-so-great season thus far, gives up 107 innings in Coors Field. So, a very stellar appearance there. You wound up having a stellar game from the New York Yankees. This is a game that was tied up 1-1 to going into the top of the 7th inning for that matter. Yankees were losing going into the 6th inning. So, if you took the first 5 of Toronto, you won. If you took the full game, they lost by 8, 9-1 to the final. A 7th spot for the New York Yankees in the 7th inning winds up being able to get it done for them, and you did wind up having the man I mentioned a little bit earlier in Aaron Judge get his ninth home run season. That one's coming off of Alec Manoa and then John Carlos Sane. A little bit later on in the game, he would get his fifth home run of the season. That comes off of Andrew Vasquez. Vasquez gives up two runs over the course of an inning, and for Manoa. Manoa, what? Not a bad start. He has been very dominant in his career at Toronto. Gives up that solo home run in six innings in which you wind up having Aaron Judge it, and then the bullpen let him down from there. Adam Simber gets one out, gives up three runs, one of which was earned. Julia Merriweather gave up three runs without getting a single out. Trent Thornton had to eat one and two-thirds innings in this one, and for the Jays, the offense has not been able to get online. One of 11 with Ben in scoring position as Jamison Tyon able to hold down the fort, giving up one run over the course of six innings. Juani Peralta, Miguel Castro, and Lucas Lukey able to give scoreless innings from there. So the Yankees all of a sudden are able to keep their streak going as they have now won 11 straight games. You've got a little bit of a streak going on here as well as the Boston Red Sox. They wind up doing a solid job on defense as they wind up shutting down the Angels by kind of 4-0. to And for the Angels, back-to-back days once they were shut out and for the Angels as well. They have been shut out in now three out of their last four games. So it's not necessarily so stellar for a team that's currently 15-10 and 10 for the Halos. You wound up having North Thor Syndergaard give up three runs over the course of seven innings, including home run going deep off of him. Rafael Devers, his fourth home run season. Then you would have J.D. Martinez go deep for his fourth home run season a little bit later off of Elvis Peguero as for the Angels. Just absolutely nothing doing in offense. Three hits and Michael Waka has looked decent this year. Five and two-thirds inning scoreless. He's out 3-0 with a buck 38 ERA. Maybe the change of scenery has done him some good as Jake Diekman is able to give you one and a third inning scoreless. Ryan Brazier at Akaza Sadomona come in. They are able to give you scoreless eighth and ninth innings to be able to get it done there. Had a little bit of an unexpected starter for the Chicago Cubs as Scotty Frost had to fill in as Drew Smiley hours before the game went on the bereavement list. He winds up giving up two unearned runs that takes a loss because of a Patrick Wisdom throwing error. That's tough right there. Zero earned runs given up by you, and you take the loss. But that said, Keegan Thompson, solid as a bulk guy, three and two-thirds innings, does wind up giving up his solo run as Tim Anderson able to get his fourth home run season. By the way, for the White Sox, departing this game, you've got two guys that wind up seeing it at bat in this one, hitting above a 224. You did wind up having a relatively solid go of it for the rest of the bullpen as well. For the Cubs, Michael Rucker, two scoreless innings. Michael Givens, Chris Martin, they're able to give you scoreless eighth and ninth innings. And for Michael Kopech, not a long start, but a solid one. Four scoreless innings out of M. Reed Lopez was able to give you a scoreless setting. Jose Ruiz does wind up giving up a run in an inning, but Aaron Bummer, Matt Foster, Liam Hendricks, they're able to come in, give you scoreless settings apiece as for the Chicago Cubs. One of five with men in scoring position. And speaking of being able to get it done, underdogs wind up having themselves a relatively solid day out there in Major League Baseball as they were able to cash seven times on the money line. And you do take a look at what we've all seen from underdogs this season. It hasn't necessarily been so great. They're hitting at about a 39% clip, 135 and 213. But a lot of these underdogs that have been hitting, they've been north of plus 150. What I've noticed is that these underdogs have like 
plus 120, plus 115. They have not been, but these bigger underdogs, they've actually been able to do a relatively solid job there. If you're looking at unders, the unders are still very profitable, but now 187 unders to 145 overs. So now we're down to 56.3% with regards to the under rate. And if you just take a look at the last seven days, we have seen a little bit of progression with regards to these totals. 47 overs to 44 unders. So last seven days, we've seen more overs than unders. So I do think that that'll be a sign of things to come moving forward. And a sign of things to come on this podcast is a great guest, Danny Burke. He's out there in the wonderful city of Chicago. Going to be taking a look at this White Sox versus Cubs series. Also going to be taking a look at the National League and the American League West with him. And as we know, Danny does terrific work over there at VSIN with the show Rush Hour. So it's a pleasure to get him aboard here next right here on the Baseball Bang Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the VSIN Formula Podcast. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge Champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, 
I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and 
and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. And it is great to be joined by our guest as this man does a terrific job over there at Beeson. You're able to catch his show every Monday through Friday called Rush Hour. And he also does the CityCast for Chicago. That's something that we wind up doing. We've got him for so many of these different cities like Washington, D.C., L.A. You've got Denver. list goes on and on. Danny holds it down with the city of Chicago. Those come out few times a week with Rush Hour. You're able to catch that every Monday through Friday. So it's out there in the Midwest, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. If you're looking Pacific Time, that'd be 3 to 4 on vSIN, the Sports Bank Network. And to be able to follow Danny on Twitter, that is at his name, 
Danny Burke, and then the number five at the back half of that. And Danny, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, always appreciate you having me on, my man. And, uh, well, we got, obviously, the Crosstown Classic going on here in the city of Chicago, so it always makes it a little bit more exciting on the diamond around these parts. Oh, absolutely. And as we're doing this right now, we don't know the results of what wound up happening with regards to Tuesday's game, but when it comes to Wednesday for Cubs and White Sox, looks like it's going to be Lucas Giolito and the professor Kyle Hendricks going at it. And very surprising that both of these teams enter in with a record of 9-13. and 13. If you would have told me that the Cubs will be entering into the series with a 9-13 and 13 record, I would probably have agreed. It said, sounds about right. The White Sox being at 9-13 and 13 entering the series, though, that has been a big surprise. And what has been your takeaways here? Because I take a look at the White Sox, and it just feels like it's been a case of Murphy's Law because it hasn't necessarily been one thing. It's just been all around everything sort of going to mush for them. Oh, man, you're not kidding. And even last year, Greg, I mean, this team obviously had high expectations and they just get screwed with injuries left and right. And then even more so this year. Now, aside from the injuries, obviously that plays a large part into the struggling start for the White Sox. But Greg, furthermore, it's really what's been a looming issue for the White Sox, and that's been their inability to really hit on the road. But that's not even as big of an issue as their inability to hit against righties. We know how great they are against southpaws. That's been a great betting angle for the past two seasons. But, of course, not every game and not every pitcher is going to be a lefty. And what's also been tough to back the White Sox with they really struggle against top teams. Like they're kind of like almost the Chicago Bulls, not to that extent, but where the Bulls had that, you know, narrative, which was actually true that they couldn't beat a top team. And I'm not saying the White Sox are that bad to that extent, but when it matters, you see that happen a lot. And it hasn't even been top teams yet, Greg. That's just been for the past couple of seasons. This year, you know, they they've lost to interdivision rivals who really aren't supposed to be that good. Now, the AL Central in general, yes, everybody expected the White Sox to win. Everybody expects them probably to still win for the most part. But we also, being we as in just collective betters who are passionate about baseball, would probably all agree that we didn't think the AL Central would be as weak as it had in years prior. I figured the Twins would still be competitive. You know, the Guardians, you could say what you want about them, I guess. Royals always kind of give a tough battle from time to time. But more so a team like the Tigers, who are up and coming, a decent pitching staff if they can stay healthy and offense if they get a guy like Javi Baez who can stay healthy and consistent in the lineup. Now, again, I'm not saying any of these teams are world beaters, but I feel like they would be tougher on a game-to-game, series-to-series basis against the White Sox. So in terms of them losing a game or two to those squads, that's not too appalling, but it is egregious by the way the White Sox have hit or lack thereof. And and then really too, Greg, you know, you look at the pitching, of course, Lance Lynn being out of the mix, but you need to be able to rel- uh, rely on a guy like Kopech. Obviously, Ceases look great. Giolito will continue to be Giolito. But my goodness, is there a more of an auto fade than Dallas Keuchel? I get that oh. it's a really short sample size. Revier San Martin, that's one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So he's right at the top of the class. But like even last year, you knew it was coming. And again, short sample size this year, Greg. But I don't know how the hell you can trust backing Dallas Keuchel at this point. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The DK Nation pick on Sunday was just a fade of Dallas Keuchel and very nearly one of the worst beats I've ever seen in my oh. life where the White Sox were down 6-0 and they very nearly made the comeback, which that one very, very nearly made me sick to my stomach. But man, Dallas Keuchel has been really bad as we do have Danny Burke joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And I do take a look at the Chicago White Sox team, and I do think that they're going to be able to turn around at some point because you've been noticing guys like Eloy Jimenez, you mentioned it with Lance Lynn, 
being on the injured list. The one thing that has me a little bit concerned, though, is that I've heard so much hype around Liam Hendricks being one of the best closers out there in the big leagues. And I do think that the White Sox bullpen, by and large, it's still relatively solid. But I feel like Liam Hendricks has gotten a little bit overrated. Now, I have also heard as well that he is a little bit injured and the White Sox are not necessarily doing the best job with regards to the injuries that he's had as well. But that's a big concern for me right now as well because this team has not been able to close out games. No, Greg, you're right. And I went to my first White Sox game because I'm a diehard Cubs fan. So I hadn't been to what now is guaranteed rate field in probably, I don't know, it's like maybe like 12 to 15 years. So I went to the game maybe like a couple to three weeks ago, whatever it was against the Rays. And it was Liam Hendricks bobblehead day. I'm staring at it right now. But I was like, ah, you know, he can't make it, you know, a close game, right? It's his bobblehead day. He's going to go out there and dominate. But no, he, he loaded the bases. He ended up getting the save. But man, you're right. I, like nothing's easy with this guy. It seems like no bullpen or no closer for that matter for either Chicago baseball team ever makes it a simple save. I mean, Hendricks was obviously more solid last year, but we know the troubles the Cubs had with Kimbrell. But you're right, Greg, and I think he'll figure it out. I think that'll be okay because a lot of times that's just the nature of baseball nowadays, man. I mean, you know, not being able to trust these bullpens, but you think that you can have a guy here or there or a team who you can really rely on. Talk about maybe like a Josh Hader, for example, someone like that. And last year, typically a Liam Hendricks. So again, I think that'll be fine when it matters. But you do have to be a little cautious about it, as you alluded to, maybe not 100%. You heard his comments, and yeah, that's a tad bit concerning. So now what do the White Sox do from that perspective? you got to hope they get Joe Kelly in the mix. Not that he's going to be their closer, per se, but to just help that relief even more so. So that's the thing. You know they're going to get those offensive pieces back. Can you get the consistent pitching? Can they stay healthy? And at some point, if the price keeps going down, Greg, it's hard to ignore the White Sox because, again, once they get healthy, they'll be fine. Everybody knows that. Everybody's assuming that. But minus 175 is what I'm seeing, I guess, in some shops because I'm just looking at some Illinois books. They've been lower. But, look, if you're looking to get involved in the AL Central, to me, and I'm not a Sox fan by any stretch of the imagination, unbiased perspective, the Southsiders will find a way. I do think that they're certainly going to be able to pull themselves up. I do think a little bit of a question mark is, are they going to be able to reach that season win total that we wound up seeing at the beginning of the year right now? I lean a little bit more towards no, because we have seen the Twins be able to put together some solid baseball as well. I do think that the Tigers are going to be able to rise up, but they've been a disappointment themselves. And I just take a look at the AL Central in general, and there have been a lot of disappointments not named the Minnesota Twins, because the Guardians got off to that nice start to the year, and they still have some solid pitching. I think that when it's all said and done. They're probably not going to be a north of 81 team, but I can't see them really being a team that winds up going south if I would say 72, 73-ish wins. But I take a look at the AL Central and really aside from the Minnesota Twins, not too many good starts from these teams. Oh, and really you're right, Greg. That's kind of the big reason why you still got to have faith in the White Sox here. And again, like I was saying, I think they'll be competitive from a game-to-game standpoint. But at the end of the day, these other squads in the AL Central, they'll go on their spurts. They'll make it competitive. But the White Sox are going to be the team that prevails because they do have that depth. Of course, you're seeing the lack of talent in that depth just because of how much they've been hindered with the injuries. And, you know, sometimes Tony LaRusso doesn't necessarily throw out the best lineup. But once they get, here comes the fun into the full swing of things. We'll be able to figure it out, come out on top of some of these other squads. So if you're someone, and I'm saying just everybody in general, who's comfortable laying a steeper price, if there's a team that it's worth doing based on the remaining teams in the division, it's got to be the White Sox, Greg. 
Yeah, it's a case in which I do think that the Chicago White Sox going to be able to get online right now. Just a little bit of an unfortunate situation that they are dealing with some injuries. As we do have Danny Burke doing a great job over there at VEASAN joining me on the podcast. And Danny, we've got to take a look at the NL Central as well because I sort of feel like the other team in this matchup between White Sox and Cubs, we sort of know where they're going to be. It seems like at this point the Cubs... They're pretty much slotted into that number three spot in the NL Central. I will give the Pirates a little bit of credit. They've been a bit better than I thought that they were going to be, but when it's all said and done, I do think that the Cubs are better than them, and I don't think that the Cubs are going to be able to catch up with the Brewers along with the St. Louis Cardinals, which is a little bit strange because I take a look at the Cubs, and I like what I've seen out of the lineup. C.A. Suzuki has cooled down a little bit from his beginning part of the season, but he's been able to do a relatively rock-solid job. Some of these guys like a Frank Schwindel have been able to step up. Ian App, ever since I will call it like August of last year, he's been one of the better hitters in all of baseball. Problem has been reliable pitching. I mean, you've got Kyle Hendricks who's going to be going on the mound on Wednesday. We all know what he's able to do at home, but past him, you don't know what you're going to be able to get. Marcus Stroman wound up having a nice start against the Brewers, but he's been a little bit lost since coming to Chicago. I think if this team is able to figure it out with pitching this year moving forward, there's going to be some good spots to be able to take them. You know what, Greg? And, and I agree with you. And you saw that brief glimpse at the beginning of the year. I remember when you and I were talking about it after the Cubs did a pretty solid number against your Brewers, but then the hitting naturally just cooled down a lot. And, you know, it's definitely been more of a drastic change than I envisioned it was going to be based on what we saw at the beginning of the year. And it's not that they can't come back and figure it out, but what you have to realize about this Cubs team is that one that they lack depth of hitting, right? They have a solid starting nine. I would say a sufficient enough starting nine. Thing is, you got to give off days every now and then, and you're not going to get this group collectively hitting. And more importantly, this isn't a team that's hitting for power. This is a patient team at the plate, which is good, but really they're a contact team. They're not going to be a team that kills you with you know, a guy hitting really 30-plus home runs or a couple of guys getting in the 20s. I mean, if Wisdom can start getting hot, yeah, he'll get there. And Schwindel, as you alluded to. So we, as Cubs fans and people who want to back the Cubs, can only hope that comes to fruition. And say a Suzuki, you know, we took him on rush hour at 3-1 to one to win NL Rookie of the Year, and now he's like minus 112. I mean, that's great. It's fantastic. And you want that. You need it. But I don't want to say it's necessarily concerning, but you don't want to have to rely on all your offensive firepower coming from Seiya Suzuki in his rookie season, right? You have all this other talent there, too. And the main thing that's just continued to be frustrating year after year. I mean, a couple of years ago, he was finally okay. But man, Greg, I mean, Jason Hayward is just an absolute liability at the plate. It's either a strikeout, he chases it in the dirt, or he's doing a weak dribbler to the pitcher. It's actually uncanny. So you know that's going to pretty much be an automatic out. Horner's solid in the infield, but you need him to have better contact hitting. It's just you need a lot more. You know what you'll get out of Wilson Contreras, but this team is going to be at a crossroads this year, right? I mean, if they're actually in the playoff hunt for the wild card, at least at some point, or is it going to be to the point where, man, maybe they will ship off Wilson Contreras because those have been the rumblings this year, and it's just so tough to gauge what this front office is going to do. But you brought up the main point, Greg. This pitching is really atrocious, to be quite honest with you. Like, Stroman being on the team is awesome. It's great. He got a win on his birthday the other day against your Brewers. Finally, a vintage outing out of him. But you can't trust a guy like Kyle Hendricks. I get he's a professor. I don't trust him. Smiley, nope, can't trust him. Miley, waiting for him to come back from his injury. You're calling up guys from the minors who ain't any good. And I just don't trust the starting pitching. And I've actually been pleasantly surprised with the bullpen, Greg. I will say that. 
But at some point, I feel like this bullpen is going to be really hard to trust. But again, as you mentioned, you can't rely on this team on a consistent basis because they're not good enough with their power hitting and their starting pitching is not going to put them in those positions to win lower scoring games because of that lack of hitting. So yeah, I mean, in the right spot with the right value, you can find the Cubs as a good bet. But man, you really got to pick and choose at this point, I feel like. Yeah, to your point, I don't think that Rowan Wick is going to continue his buck 23 ERA. Yeah. Scott Efrost, sub to ERA himself. That's <laughs> something that I don't think is going to be necessarily too sustainable, as we know have Danny Burke joining me on the podcast. And I sure hope this is not sustainable either, because I think we've got to talk about this story from the NL Central. The Cincinnati Reds are 3-19, and that record's actually a little bit deceiving, because they bought him starting off the year or two and two. So, Going into Tuesday, they had lost 17 out of their last 18 games. We've never seen a team wind up having this low of a win percentage as the Reds are currently on pace for, and they have been dealing with a couple of injuries, but I don't know what you wind up making on the Cincinnati Reds, and I felt like there was actually a good debate between Reds versus Cubs being the number three team in the NL Central coming into the year. Now that's very laughable right here in very early May, but oh man. At some point, I think there might be a buy point with the Cincinnati Reds, but seeing them as right around like a plus 230-ish underdog on the openers for Tuesday, that still is by far not even close enough for me to consider them. Greg, it's really not. And I find myself from time to time fading the Reds, which of course, as you mentioned, 319. It's profitable. Yes, right. right. I mean, it's profitable. But at some point, I'm almost hesitant because it's like, you got to think they're due. Like, it's baseball. It's such a long season. Every team squeaks out a win every now and then that they maybe you know, like, you'll lose the first two or three in a series. You'll win the left. Like, those little things. But the Reds are just doing things that we have not seen before. It's it's almost impressive, right? It's like if you're betting for a weekend and you go 10-0, and 0, you know, you make the joke. It's just as impressive as if you go 0-10 as if you win 10 and Like, it's almost like on those lines of the Reds still losing, you have to almost be actively trying to be this poor of a team as at this point. And what their owners said at the beginning of the year obviously doesn't help. But man, you're right, Greg. The discourse around the Reds weren't that they were going to be bad. It was that more so they're not going to make the postseason. They'll be neck and neck with the Cubs. But no one could imagine they would be this bad. So I guess it's almost like, hey, it's a green light at this point to fade them. And yeah, you're going to get taxed on it. So you got to look at the run line to some extent. But my goodness, I mean, you can give me all the plus money in the world almost. And I still don't think I'd be tempted to go with the Reds in any spot as of this moment. It's really, really bad. And I mean, the team that I grew up rooting for, the Milwaukee Brewers, they should be able to get a very nice amount of easy wins in the series against the Cincinnati Reds. Mm -hmm. Any loss, I would deem that to be a disappointing series for the Milwaukee Brewers because, I mean, at this point, I think we can find triple-A teams that could go out there and give pretty much the same effort as the Cincinnati Reds. And hey, they're throwing other guys that they should be at the triple-A level. So, pretty much par for the course at this point with regards to the Reds. I mean, even when the Cubs wound up getting gutted, Ed, we had no idea that who was starting for them. They were more competitive than the Cincinnati Reds were right now. So, I mean, it's just on that level of bad and a man that is the complete opposite of that. While the Reds are 3-18, and this man, if he was to have a record, he'd be more like 18-3. and That's you, Danny, because you always provide it every single day. You do a great job with Rush Hour every Monday through Friday on VEASAN. I know that you've got Bet on Chicago every Saturday out there in the Chicagoland area, the CityCast for the city of Chicago as well. I know that you were very active with the NFL draft going on, so you're covering a wide variety of things. 
love to give people at home, know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Well, hey, I appreciate the kind words, Greg. I'm just trying to be like yourself. You're grinding every day and we always appreciate the work you put in. But yeah, at Danny Burke 5, where you can follow along on Twitter. Uh, main show is Rush Hour, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. And then as you alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, also host a Chicago City cast, partnered with Bet Rivers. Talk all things Chicago, get the fan perspective when I'm ranting on the struggles of the Cubs <laughs> and, of course, the Sox, as we definitely talked about here on this edition. And, uh, yeah, multiple episodes a week. And then uh, Bet on Chicago, WLS, 890 AM for the folks here in the Windy City, Saturday nights, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time. Danny does absolutely incredible work when it comes to everything that we wind up seeing out there in the Chicago area. And the good news is you don't have to talk about Matt Nagy this year. So that should be <laughs> a very big help for you as you still have a Matt that is coaching the team oh. at Pat Eberflus. So that's going to be very interesting to take a look at. Going to have a lot that's going to be going down in Chicago this summer, obviously, with the Cubs and the White Sox when it winds up hitting NFL season. We all know what's going down there. And, hey, never forget about some of those teams out there in Chicago with regards to college basketball. Loyal, Chicago, DePaul, I think that they might be in for some relatively solid years. And Danny, he covers it all and does a great job over here at Beeson. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And now it is that time the podcast coming up next. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, 
You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the BC Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Danny Burke on. He does a terrific job 
hosting Monday through Friday on VSIN, the show Rush Hour, but on Chicago during the weekends. And then if you're someone that loves podcasts, you've got the CityCast for the city of Chicago that is done by him. You're able to download that wherever you find this fine podcast. And Danny doing more than fine work. He's doing tremendous work. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81, and we do have some changes because, well, we're going to have a pair of double headers that are going to be going down due to washouts yesterday. Those are going to be involving the American League games. Those are going to be at the bottom, so we're going in Las Vegas rotation order aside from those games because you will just want to keep those all together, do my best to be able to sum those up. But with that said, let's get right into it. Starting with 901-902 on the betting board, the Arizona Diamondbacks hit the road faceoff against the Miami Marlins. Eliezer Hernandez is going to be going for the fish. And Mad Bum, Madison Baumgartner, is going to be on the bump for Arizona. Arizona's find themselves at a plus 120 to a plus 122 underdog. Meanwhile, with Miami, and between minus 130 and minus 140 is what you're laying. 7.5 is your total unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The overs anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. And when you take a look at both of these teams, they certainly have had their struggles being able to get up on the board this year. And as a result, I did wind up saying my total at a 7.1. I'm going to be looking at an under in this spot. You take a look at both of these guys, and both have been relatively rock solid to this point. Eliezer Hernandez does have a little bit of a tough time giving up the deep ball, and as a result, he does have that 575 ERA. Giving up six home runs over the course of 20 and a third innings. And Madison Bumgarner, 117 ERA, a 113 whip. When your whip and your ERA are matching up, you know that it's probably doing for a little bit of regression with Bumgarner. Big thing for him at the beginning part of the season was walks. Six walks in the first three starts ever since then. Just one walk, he's given up pretty much two solo runs. And past that, he's got one other earned run that he's given up. Now, he has given up at least one unearned run in two out of his last three starts. And we noticed that with the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is a team that they do wind up committing quite a few errors. But this Miami Marlins lineup, and it is one that has Jazz Chislam along with Asu Sanchez. These two guys have been able to combine for seven home runs. You've got Sanchez in right around 260. Chislam has been able to 300. And John Birdie has come back. He's looked relatively solid. Garrett Cooper has nearly a 375 to a 380-ish on base. You do need to get guys like Ore Soler, Avicio Garcia, Jacob Sellings on board. These guys are in below the Mendoza line of 200, but you just take a look at what the Arizona Diamondbacks were throwing out there on Tuesday, and guys that have more than 25 at-bats, and just two guys that were hitting above a 230, which that's not necessarily too terrific. Now, Dalton Varsho, along with Christian Walker, these two guys do have a combined nine home runs, so they've been able to do a solid job, but with that said, what you also like about the Miami Marlins, they do have a better bullpen in this spot. You do have the Anthony's Anthony Bass, Anthony Bender, they're able to come in, do a good job. Steve O'Kurt, the guys from the Baltimore Orioles, Sanders Scott Colesolz, are they able to come in and hold down the fort. Meanwhile, Mark Melanson, he's currently on the injured list for the Diamondbacks, and he's one of your most trustworthy guys. So Luis Frias is someone that is going to be seeing some innings. If you need long relief, Corbin Martin is probably going to be your guy. Kyle Nelson has been able to do a halfway decent job himself, but I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that that's going to be tough. And I do think that there's going to be positive progression for Eliezer Hernandez because it is a pitcher-friendly ballpark. He is going up against an Arizona Diamondbacks team that, as a collective, they're hitting below the Mendoza line of a 200. And you take a look home versus road for Eliezer 
Eliezer Hernandez in his two home starts. He's given up four runs over the course of 11 innings. Not rock solid by any means, but not too bad. Meanwhile, he has given up nine runs over the course of nine and a third innings on the road. So he has clearly been a little bit better at home. I do think that that trend is going to continue. I do think that two teams that have been sort of shaky on offense. The Marlins have been halfway decent. The Diamondbacks are just unable to get on base. They are going to have a tough time scoring runs. Set my total at a 7.1. So we're going to be taking a look at the under with the fish. I did wind up making them a favorite of more round of minus 155. I made it officially minus 157. If I want to take the run line with a fish, I'd be able to get it right around a plus 145 to a plus 150. In this sort of a game, I do not want to mess with that. I'm able to get a minus 130 money line. So I'm going to ride with that and I'm going to be going with this total under. 903-904 on the banging board. The Atlanta Braves are going to be hitting the red face off against the New York Mets. Tyler McGill is going to be going for the Mets, and Ian Anderson is going to be on the bump for Atlanta. Your total on this game is 7, over is minus 120, and the under is even. If you're looking at the Mets, find them any between minus 120 and minus 135, plus price with Atlanta is between plus 110 and plus 115. And with the Mets, I did wind up making them a minus 124 favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take a shot here with Tyler McGill. Wound up having a little bit of a rough rookie season last year, but he wound up picking up miles per hour on his fastball in the offseason, and Guys looked absolutely magnificent to this point of the season. 4 0 record, 193 ERA, 28 innings across his five starts so far this season. And you take a look at it, he's had one start in which he's given up more than two runs. And out of his five starts, three of them, he has given up a big old goose egg. So he's been able to do a good job there and also doing a good job of being able to hold it down with the guards' walk. Six walks given up over the course of 28 innings. Good command there, and that's always been a little bit of a trouble spot for Ian Anderson. 11 walks in 19 in the third innings career, about three and a half walks per nine innings. Now, does a good job of being able to get some swings and misses. Does a good job typically of being able to keep the ball in the yard, but has given up at least one home run in each out of his last three starts. We wound up seeing it in game one. Ball seems to be flying a little bit more in New York now than it did at the beginning of the season, and both of these offenses are rock solid. Matt Olson, Austin Riley, both of these guys have north of a 360 on base. Riley has been able to do a nice job being able to go deep now seven times this season, and Ozzy Albee's batting average has not necessarily been there to this point for him, but he entered into game two of yesterday's double dip with six home runs. Got to feel like Adam Duvall is going to be able to put back to ball at some point this season to try this Demerit. He's been able to hit above a 300 as well, so got some good matchers for the Atlanta Braves and for the New York Metropolitans. You take a look at this team of Brandon Nimbo, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Dom Smith. All these guys are in between about a 250 to a 265. Alonso, one of the best power hitters that you're able to find in all of baseball. And then you got Francisco Lindor looking like the man that he was in Cleveland, 15 plus RBI thus far this season. Mark Canna, along Travis Janikowski, they're hitting above a 300 now. Both of these bullpens, they did wind up having to get used up a little bit because you did wind up seeing quite a few runs given up by the starters in game one of that double dip. The Atlanta Braves and used up Jesse Chavez yesterday with the Mets. Adam Adovino, Edwin Diaz, these guys, they wound up getting used up a little bit more. So that is a little bit of an issue because the Mets, they did wind up diving a little bit deeper into their bullpen and Sean Reed Foley being on the injured list does not help, but still have someone like a Jason Shreve that's able to give you a little bit of length. Adonis Medina is someone that's able to give you multiple innings if needed as well for the Atlanta Braves. You've got Tyler Mazik, A.J. Minter. These guys are able to do a solid job for you. So you do have a pair of teams that they've got pretty rock-solid bullpens, and I do think that you're still going to be able to get a relatively solid start here out of Ian Anderson. I do 
think that some of these totals have went a little bit too low, though. I did wind up saying my total in this spot at a 7.3, especially with bullpen usage. At 7, I'd be taking a look at an over. We could wind up seeing it 7.5 because right now the juice in a lot of spots is right around a minus 120-ish. So if we wind up going to a 7.5, I'd be looking under. At 7, I'm looking over because I'm right now in the middle on that. But with the Metropolitans, I'm going to lay up to a minus 124 with them. So look at Mets, and I'm going to be taking a look at this 7 over as we move on to 905-906 on the banging board. The Cincinnati Reds, yes, we are on to Cincinnati. And they're under the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers are on to a win with Freddy Peralta on the mound, and Vladimir Gutierrez is going to be going for the Reds. The Reds aren't quite big enough of an underdog in this spot at plus $2 to plus $2.10. Meanwhile, with the Brew Crew, you're finding them anywhere between minus $2.25 and minus $2.55. 7.5 is your total. The over and the under are anywhere between minus $105 and minus $115. I did wind up saying my total had an 8.2 because I think the Reds are going to become a human red flag here, and you want no part of them. You take a look at Mr. Gutierrez. 17 innings pitch thus far this season, and it has not went well. He's given up 14 runs, all of which were earned, 15 walks in those 17 innings. So he's given up right around eight walks per nine innings. He's allowed at least three runs at each out of his three starts. Has yet to complete five innings this season. And for Freddie Peralta, it was a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the season. He wound up being injured towards the end of last season, but he's been able to pick it up in the last two starts. One run allowed in the last two starts. His walks have been able to go down as well. Combined four walks in his last three starts after having four walks in his season debut. So that is something that you do like to see because with Peralta, it's always been a matter of walks with him. And you take a look at Freddie during the 2021 season. He was able to do a rock-solid job at home, giving up nine home runs at 84 and a third innings. Opponents at just a buck 58 off of him as well. And got a Reds lineup that it's not very good right now. I mean, you take a look at these guys. Enjoy Votto's having one of the worst starts to a season that we've ever seen. He wanted King the day off yesterday because at this point, he's become pretty unplayable. As a matter of fact, in the starting lineup, you had one guy that entered into the day hitting above a 250, and that's a guy that's been out for quite a while, Tyler Stevenson. So, not so great. Jonathan India is currently on the injured list. Taylor Naquin, Tommy Pham, along with quite a few others, like an R.E.C. De Sakino out there in the outfield. These guys have been a little bit rough now, to Tommy Pham's credit. It's been a little bit better in the last few weeks, but still, you need a little bit more than that. And for the Brewers, it's not like this team is necessarily lighting the world on fire with their lineup, as they did not have a single guy entering into Tuesday that was hitting above a 250 that wound up being in the starting lineup. But with that said, Andrew McCutcheon's been able to get on base for you. You gotta feel like you're gonna be able to get some power out of guys like Rowdy Tellez, Hunter Renfro. These guys have been able to go deep a little bit. And for the Brewers, you've got that lights out bullpen. Josh Shader, Devin Williams, these guys are locked down. They've been dealing with a little bit of injury to Jake Cousins, but even someone like a Hobie Milner has been able to do a good job giving you innings. Brent Suter, and for the Cincinnati Reds, you just don't wind up having that. You're able to get a little bit of length out of someone like a Tony Santiam, but Hunter Strickland needs way long in the dudes are worn. These guys are not great. I think that this becomes a question of what do you wind up setting the run line in this spot? I made mine a minus 133. Right now, I'm seeing the Brewers anywhere between a minus 110 and a minus 115, and I'm sold. Hook, line, and sinker. I made the Brewers on the money line more on a minus 258, so relatively in line with what we've got, but I do like the run line in this spot. I think that the Reds, they just wind up giving up runs upon runs, even though Milwaukee has been far from impressive with regards to their offense. So, semi-total 8.2, I'm looking over, and I'm going to be taking a look at a run line here with the Brooker 907-908 on the bang board. The Colorado Rockies, they're going to be playing us to the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nets, and 
Austin Gomber is going to be on the bump for Colorado. Rockies are finding themselves anywhere between minus 137 and minus 148. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Nets, you're finding them anywhere between plus 125 and plus 138. 10.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. I do think something that is very underrated in this spot is just a home field advantage that you've got out there at Coors. I feel like it's really been undermined a little bit this season, and I'm not sure why, because you just take a look at what Austin Gomber was able to do during the 2021 season, and this guy was nothing short of amazing at home. In nine starts, 209 ERA, 501 record, gave up five home runs in 47 and a third innings. Opponents hit a buck 87 off of him. Opponents hit a 260 off of him on the road. In 68 innings, gave up 15 home runs. He wound up going four and eight with a 622 ERA. So that is a big giant split right there. And for Patrick Corbin, it really doesn't matter if he's at home, if he's on the road, if he's on planet Pluto. This guy has been absolutely terrible. Wound up having a North of 5 ERA last season and he's picking up right where he left off last season and as a matter of fact, it's becoming even worse. 869 ERA this season. He's allowed 21 runs, 19 of which have been earned. He is getting right around 10 strikeouts per 9 innings to his credit, but he has given up at least 2 walks in each of his last 4 starts, 3 plus walks in 3 of those starts. He has made it through 1 out of his last 4 starts, giving up fewer than 3 runs, so it has been ghastly bad, and it's not like he's backed up by some amazing bullpen as right now Tanner Rainey is their closer, and Tanner Rainey, last season he had a ERA that was north of a 7. Kyle Finnegan is a little bit old. He has not been able to be too reliable for this team, and even take a look at what you're able to get out of someone like a Victor Arano. It's not necessarily too terrific, and I'm not saying that the Colorado Rockies have an amazing bullpen or anything like that, but Tyler Kinley has been able to do the job. Alex Calme, someone I've never been high on, but he's a little bit of an upgrade to what they wound up having last year. You're even able to get Carlos Aceves going as well, and you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that has a collective going into Tuesday, hitting about a 285 at home, and you've got C.J. Crone, who's been able to belt out seven home runs at home so far this season. Most of these guys, they've got a batting average about 50 points higher at home than they do on the road. Connor Joe, Charlie Blackman, both of these guys entered into Tuesday with four home runs. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Washington Nationals. It's been a rough go of it for Nelson Cruz, hitting just a buck 48. You do have Juan Soto, who's got north of a 400 on base. He's been able to give you four home runs, but he was the only guy in the starting lineup on Tuesday with more than two home runs entering into the game. You've been able to have Josh Bell get on base, hitting at 350. So, to his credit, he's been able to do a solid job there. Mikel Franco has been able to get on base along Cesar Hernandez, but guys at the bottom of the lineup, like an Alcides Escobar, these guys have not necessarily been too good. I do think that the Colorado Rockies should be a pretty sizable favorite, and you do take a look at Patrick Corbin. He has been relatively rough, but I do think that Austin Gomber is going to do a solid job holding down a national team that they've been having a tough time being able to get some solid contact on the ball. Home run numbers are way down for them, and that's really where they wind up thriving in the Nationals. One of the best teams at being able to strand men on base with regards to their offense. So, I set the Rockies at a minus 169 here. I'm very willing to take a money line. I did wind up setting my total at a 10.4 because I do think that this is a Rockies team that is doing a solid job of being able to pitch. And it's a little bit cooler this time of year in Denver. The ball really starts flying out during the summertime. Ball isn't necessarily doing as good of a job of being able to fly out this time of year. So, I'm willing to take this in an half under and I'm going to be taking a look at the money line of the Colorado Rockies. So, necessarily want to go run line just in case we wind up seeing something pop up as if you're taking a look at that run line right now you're going to be finding a little bit of a plus price here with the Colorado Rockies laying a run and a half you're going to be finding that right around a plus 120 to a plus 125 rather play it safe rather take the money line 
909 on the bang board. The San Francisco Giants, they are going to be in the road and they're going to be facing off against the LA Dodgers. For the LA Dodgers, it is good old to be determined that is going to be going for them. Meanwhile, Alex Wood is going to be on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. Right now, it's figuring to be Tony Gonsolin for the Dodgers as of right now. And if it's not Gonsolin, it is going to be some sort of a bullpen game. It could wind up being Gonsolin and sort of a, shall we say, wholesale approach. But with that said, assuming that it is Tony Gonsolin, I'd be setting this line at a minus 125 on the LA Dodgers with a run line being right around about a minus 150-ish. And this is a total in which I'd be willing to take a look at a 7.5 over and an 8 or higher to the under. I wound up setting my total at a 7.9, so 7.5 or lower over 8 or higher to the under. But I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that it is intriguing to see what we wind up getting out of Alex Wood because Wood ever since the beginning of the 2021 season with the San Francisco Giants he's been pretty much the same pitcher home to road which is a little bit shocking because San Francisco very much a pitcher friendly ballpark thus far this season Hasn't been great. Hasn't been terrible. 419 ERA, 2-1 record. Did wind up getting let up in his last start against Washington, giving up five runs over the course of five innings, but he'll just get like three or four of those Alex Wood starts a year, so pretty much one per month. He's actually been better on the road this year. In 10 innings on the road, has given up just two runs, and you wound up noticing it during the 2021 season when he wound up having a 420 ERA on the road, more like a 360 ERA at home, giving up the same amount of homers. Home to road. And then if you do wind up getting Tony Gonsolin, like I'm thinking that you're going to wind up getting for the LA Dodgers. Someone that doesn't necessarily lend a whole bunch of length sometimes does wind up having a little bit of a walks issue. Wound up giving up more than four walks per nine innings last season. Eight walks and 17 innings this season, but has been able to do a solid job of being able to hold down the fort. Now, the one thing that you have to note with Tony Gonsolin, he's got a buck 60 ERA. His fielding independent is more than a full point and a half higher, but with that said, both of these teams back up their respective pitchers with two of the top five bullpens in the big league since the beginning of the 2021 season. Last year, the Giants were the only team with a sub-3 bullpen ERA in the Dodgers. They've got Phil Bickford. They've got Craig Kimbrell. So many of these guys, they're able to come and do a solid job. Blake Trine is currently on the injured list, but he's got Bruce Sarter Griderall. I do like the fact that they pick up Reyes Moranta, the former Giant, and for the Giants, Jake McGee has been good for this team. Tyler Rogers, you're able to throw in there even some like an Jose Alvarez, and when it comes to the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that they do have quite a few mashers on their team. You've got Brandon Belts, who's able to give you a home run every 12 to 13 at-bats over the last two seasons. He has been very good for this team. They've been dealing with a couple of injuries. Jock Peterson has been in and out of the fold the last few days. Got to figure that he's probably going to be banged up once again in this one, but you do take a look at what you're able to get out of someone like a Wilmer Flores, someone who's been able to give you 13 RBI this season. He's been solid. Dario Estrada is only hitting at 235, but 14 RBI for him as well. Joey Bart has been able to give you a trio of homers, and for the LA Dodgers, you've got Mookie Betts along with Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger, all giving you three to four home runs thus far this season. Bellinger struggled with the guards' batting average, but Chris Taylor, Freddie Freeman, both of these guys hitting above a 275. Ants Alberto, someone that's able to get on base for you. Max Muncie, he's in an almighty struggle. Wound up going into Tuesday 9 of 66 overall, but you know that he's going to be able to pick it up. The Dodgers have actually been one of the best under teams in all of baseball going into Tuesday. As a matter of fact, I believe that they were the best under team in the National League. That said, I do think that this is going to be a bunch that they do bust out a little bit more with the offense. Like I said, wound up setting the Dodgers as a minus 125 favorite. This is a case in which a 7.5 or less, I'll be taking a look at the over 8 or 
Mariner to the under. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners hit the road faceoff against the Houston Astros. Joseph Verlander is going to be going for the Astros, and Matt Brash is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Your total on this game is 7.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110, and with the Astros find themselves as big favorites. Anywhere between minus 170 and minus 185. Meanwhile, your plus price with Seattle, you're going to be getting it and between plus 160 and plus 165 when it comes to the Seattle Mariners. I've soured a little bit on Matt Brash. I think that he's going to be very solid in future years. It's a little bit tough for him right now. You've just seen him get a little bit more figured out. I did wind up having to make the Astros more around a minus 193 favorite. And when it comes to run line in the spot, I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 105 here with the Astros. And right now you're finding them more in the neighborhood of about a plus 110. So I'm actually going to look to reduce the juice here because with Justin Verlander, he has had sort of the same issues that he wound up having in 2018 and 19 and that he just doesn't give up a lot of hits, but they all just seem to fly over the fence. 26 innings thus far. He's given up 14 hits, three home runs, which is ridiculously high given what we've wound up having here in 2022, but that said, Justin Verlander looking very solid. Buck 73 ERA compared to Brash, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, has been struggling with a 688 ERA for Brash. Giving up a combined nine runs in his last two starts after giving up two runs in his first two starts, ironically enough, against the Astros and the Chicago White Sox. And with Brash, good swing and miss stuff, but the 13 walks, that is a little bit of an issue. And he's going up against the Houston Astros team that got to expect them to be able to pick it up with the bats. They've been a below average lineup this far this year. And now they've got Jose Altuve back in the fold. He's still got a Houston Astros team that they're one of the best at not striking out. But going into what we wind up seeing on Tuesday, Yuli Gurriel, Jeremy Pena, Jose Siri, all these guys. Reading between a 210 to a 215, I think that they're going to be able to pick it up. Alex Bregman is perennially a little bit of a slow starter. Jordan Alvarez had a little bit of a rough start to the season, but going into Tuesday, he was starting to pick it up with seven home runs. And you do take a look at the Seattle Mariners team. J.P. Crawford is hitting a 370 right now. Tom Murphy, he's hitting well above a 300. Ty France has been one of the best players with regards to RBI in all of baseball. Was second going into Tuesday with 21, five home runs. Adam Frazier got to expect him to hit a little bit better than he is right now, hitting at 235. And then you're noticing Julio Rodriguez being able to pick it up as well. Now, you take a look at the Seattle Mariners bullpen. It's still one of the best that you're able to find out there in the big leagues. Drew Steckenrider has been solid. Paul Sewell, the Zalbagfold, Anthony Bacevich is someone that you're able to rely upon. And for the Houston Astros, Ryan Presley dealing with a little bit of an injury has been tough for this team, so now you have to rely upon Blake Taylor, Ryan Stanek, Rafael Montero, but that said, these guys have been able to step it up a little bit, and I do think that Justin Verlander is going to be able to lend great length, so I'm willing to take the Astros on the run line. I do think that the offense is going to be picking up a little bit with regards to this Houston Astros team as well, so I did wind up saying my total at an 8.2, thinking that Matt Brash can have a little bit of a rough outing, so looking at the run line of the Houston Astros, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang board. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road face off gets the Oakland A's. One, Frankie Montas is going to be going for the A's, and you've got Corey Kluber who's on the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays are finding themselves as slight favorites, anywhere between minus 111 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Oakland, you're going to be finding them between even money and seeing his eyes, a plus 105, 7 is your total. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 110. And when it comes to Tampa Bay Rays, I did wind up saying them as a little bit more of a favorite here of a minus 131. And I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that it is a very intriguing one in that you 
do have yourself a Tampa Bay Rays team that has been able to get quite a bit out of Corey Kluber thus far. With Kluber, he was actually relatively solid with the New York Yankees last season. It was just a matter of health thus far this season for Kluber. Five walks in 20 and two-thirds innings, which was a little bit of a bugaboo for him last season. Not great swing and miss stuff, but relatively solid swing and miss stuff, but he's really been one of the few guys that's been able to eat innings for the Rays. Five plus innings in each out of the last three starts, going six strong in his start against the Minnesota Twins, so he has been rock solid there. And then for Frankie Montas, he is the ace of the Oakland A's, and you take a look at what he's been able to do. He's been relatively solid recently, giving up two runs or fewer in three of his last four starts, so with that said, last start, he did wind up giving up five runs over the course of five innings, and has, over the last few years, actually been a little bit more rough at home than he has been on the road, which is intriguing, because Oakland, very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark, especially during the night, but you gotta know, this is a daytime game, where the ballpark becomes very much more hitter-friendly when you don't have the marine layer out. Now, you do take a look at this Oakland A's team, and entering into Tuesday, the team as a collective was hitting at 206 with a 270 on base. That is not too terrific right there. And have one guy hitting more than three home runs. And for that matter, two guys with more than two home runs. Chad Pinder, three bombs thus far this season. And Sean Murphy has been able to have four. But you take a look at it. Sean Murphy, Elvis Andrews, Christian Bache, Seth Brown, Billy McKinney. All these guys hitting a 210 or lower. It's actually been Sheldon Noisy who stepped up for the team. 13 RBI, 380 on base entering into Tuesday. But then you do take a look at the Tampa Bay race. It's been a little bit all over the place for the team. There is a collective at 242, but you take a look at the individual pieces, and none of them are blowing you away. G-Man Choi has really been able to do some good work for this team, but he hasn't seen a lot of at-bats because he's been banged up. Same goes for Harold Ramirez. Now, Wanda Franco, 322 batting average entering into what we wound up seeing on Tuesday. Four home runs. He's been rock solid. Yandy Diaz, he's hitting above a 300 as well, and Rene Pinto is someone that has been standing out to me, but Randy Rosarena is hitting right around a 200. You haven't been able to get anything whatsoever out of guys like Jed Lau, Brandon Lau, Kevin Kiermeyer, you're able to throw in there as well. Mike Zanino, all these guys hitting at 200 or lower, so it's been a little bit rough, but we do know this. With the Tampa Bay Rays, they always do a great job with their bullpen. J.P. Fireisen is someone that is always able to give you some solid innings. Colin Pooch has proved to be someone that is relatively reliable. Ryan Thompson does a good job for this team as well, so I do take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, and I do think that they should be able to get some good action from their bullpen. I do think that Corey Kluber could come in and do a solid job against an Oakland A's team that has been one of the worst in the big leagues at being able put back to ball. I did wind up setting this total at a 7.3 because with it being 88 time game, I do think that the ball is going to be flying a little bit more so. I'm going to be willing to take a look at it over in the spot with the race. Set them as a minus 131 favorite so looking raise and looking over. 9.15, 9.16 on the bang board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be in the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Kyle Bradish is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Dylan don't call me Al Bundy. Going to be on the bump for Minnesota. Twins are finding themselves anywhere between minus 129 and minus 135 favorites. Plus price with the Orioles. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 125. 7.5 is your total over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And with the Minnesota Twins, wound up setting them as a minus 148 favorite. Kyle Bradish was relatively solid out there at the minor league level, but... I think that we're getting a little bit too enamored with Mr. Bradish. He did wind up making his MLB debut, and in his MLB debut, certainly went far from awful with that regard, but you take a look at what Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy, has been able to do, and it's actually been a relatively impressive year for him, and also keep in mind that he used to be a part of the Baltimore Orioles organization before he wound up getting traded. I think that that's a little bit of positive motivation for him. 3-1 and record, 295 ERA, 2 home runs, and 3 walks given up in 21 and a third innings. Just a far cry from what we wound up seeing from him in Los Angeles last season, and while he was with the LA Angels last season, it was really interesting to take a look at Mr. Don't Call Me Al Bundy, because, by the way, in 2020, he was relatively solid, but he actually had a full 1.3 points lower 
on his ERA when he was on the road rather than at home and gave up fewer home runs on the road as well for Bradish. Gave up three runs, two of which were earned in his first start, but this is someone that he has been a very well-traveled gentleman, and I take a look at what he wound up doing in the AA, AAA levels last season, and I wasn't necessarily overly impressed. He had a 3.68 ERA. He pitched in Norfolk and Bowie, and those aren't necessarily overly hitter-friendly places, and he gave up four walks per nine innings. The command is very questionable. Now, he wound up having right around 11.8 strikeouts per nine innings at the AAA level last season, which I think that that's going to be rock solid, but giving up free passes to the Minnesota Twins, that typically does not wind up going well for you, and this is a Minnesota Twins team in which they don't necessarily have the world's greatest bullpen, so Dylan Bundy needing to give a good start is going to be paramount, but he is going up against a Baltimore Orioles lineup that is one of the worst out there in the big leagues. You just take a look at what they want up trotting out there on Tuesday, and one player wound up entering into that game, hitting above a 245. so it's not necessarily too terrific, and that would be awesome. This A is good. Cedric Mullins has had a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the season after he last year was one of the best hitters in all of baseball. Ian Anthony, Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, these guys were able to give you some power. They just haven't been there. Mountcastle and Mullins both had 25-plus home runs last season. As a collective, the Orioles entered into Tuesday with 11. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, you take a look at Carlos Gray. He's starting to pick it up. He's back above 250 with his batting average here, Rochelle. He's regressed a little bit, but you still have out there Trevor Larnich. He's been with right around a 275-280. Byron Buxton just one of the most impactful players in all of baseball. He's got great wheels. He's been able to give the team seven home runs despite the fact that he's missed like six or seven games this season. 340 on base. He has been amazing for this team. And Max Kepler is starting to pick it up as well. Right around a 360 on base with the Twins. Emilio Pagan. Not necessarily great out there in the bullpen. You on Duran. I don't have a lot of faith in him. Joe Ryan's not necessarily too terrific. And for the Orioles, I mean, they wound up entering into Tuesday with a league average bullpen. These bullpens were actually number 15 and number 16 with regards to ERA. But do you think that Felix Batista, Paul Fry, and these guys are going to be able to keep up their good ERA? CNL Perez entering into Tuesday had yet to give up an earned run. I don't think so. And I do think that the Twins are going to be able to get to the Orioles. I do think that Dylan Dokami, Al Bundy, going to be able to give you a solid start. Was willing to set the Twins as a minus 148 favorite. If you're taking a look at a run line, by the way, you're finding that anywhere between a plus 130 to a plus 135. Would rather take a look at the money line. I've got a bigger advantage there. I don't want to wind up rolling the dice because we've seen so many one-run games this season, but did wind up saying my total a little bit north of 8 as well, so taking the 7.5 over, and I'm going to be taking the Twins on the money line. 9.17, 9.18 on the bang board. The New York Yankees are going to be in the road to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. You say Kikuchi is going to be going for the Jays, and Nestor Cortez is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves in between a minus 123 and minus 130 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Jays, you're going to be getting them between plus 110 and plus 128 is your total. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. And with Nestor Cortez and company, I did wind up saying the Yankees as a very slight underdog. I do think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to get a little bit more online with regards to their offense. You've noticed on this season, being number two in the big leagues with regards to home runs going into what we wound up seeing on Tuesday, but but a little bit of power outage for some of these guys like Abobachet, who entered into Tuesday hitting below a 225, has been able to pick it up with the power a little bit, but got to feel like this guy is really going to be able to bust out and did wind up having a multi-hit game on Tuesday, you've been able to see Lourdes Correal, Vlagero Jr., George Springer, all hit above a 275 with Vladito Jr. He's been able to give you north of 15 RBI, six home runs. He's been rock solid. Bottom of the line, Oleander Kirk, Zach Collins. These guys have actually been halfway decent. Then you do take a look at the Yankees, and it has been absolutely incredible what we've seen out of the duo of Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge. Both of these guys, north of a 355 on base, and both are tied for the league lead with regards to home runs at nine. John Carlos Sanchez has been able to give you a couple deep flies. Gleyber Torres drove in 
in all three runs in that game on Monday as well. He's starting to pick it up a little bit. Isaiah Canera-Falefa along with DJ Turnitup LeMayu. These guys have been able to get on base with Falefa hitting above a 300 and both of these bullpens have been relatively solid. The Yankees, no doubt, they wind up getting a little bit of an advantage here because you do have Michael King who's able to give you multiple innings. Jonathan Luizga has been rock solid for the team. Aside from the last series against the Jays, Aroldis Chapman has been solid. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, you have had to use up quite a few bullpen pieces in recent days. But Alec Manoa lending a good start on Tuesday, that was very helpful. So you've got to figure that guys like a Jordan Romano, a Trent Thornton, these guys are all going to be available for the team. Yimi Garcia and Simber are guys that really do impress me as well. But I do take a look at Yusei Kikuchi and throughout his career hasn't necessarily been too much of a swing and miss guy but has been able to pick it up a little bit more here in recent years dating back to the beginning of last season more than nine strikeouts per nine innings now 13 walks and 14 and two-thirds innings has not necessarily been too terrific as he has given up at least three runs in three out of his four starts thus far this season but He's also had to face off against, I would say, the toughest lineups in all of baseball. Yankees, Red Sox, and the Houston Astros twice, which is why his numbers look much worse than your average pitcher. Meanwhile, you do take a look at Nestor Cortez, and he has been a magnificent to begin the season, but I mean, he's faced the Blue Jays once, and then he wound up facing the Orioles, the Guardians, and the Royals. So I do think that the level of competition that these guys are facing is big with Cortez. 28 punch-outs at 20 and two-thirds innings. He's been able to do it a lot with manipulation, but you've got to feel like he might wind up getting figured out a little bit more. I think that that's something that you do want to be taking a look at. I do think that there is a good advantage with Toronto playing out there north of the border as well, and I do think that Kikuchi going to rein it in a little bit more with the walks, and that allow the Blue Jays to be able to get it done. I'm going to be taking a look at the Blue Jays on the money line. Was willing to take pretty much any sort of plus price with them. Set him at a minus 103. So my total 8.9 as well. I do think that Kikuchi does wind up giving up a couple runs to a white-hot New York Yankees lineup, and I do think that the Jays are going to be able to pick it up as well. So looking over and looking Blue Jays. 919, 920 on the main board. The LA Angels hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Garrett Whitlock is going to be going for the Sox and Reed Detmers on the bump for the Angels. Currently, we've got no numbers up on this game, but Mr. Greg Peterson has a handicap. I want to pin this spot, setting the Red Sox as a minus 138 favorite. I want to make it my total 8.7. So that means an 8.5 or lower, I'm going to be looking over a 9 or higher. I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and Reed Detmers wound up having a very nice start in his last time out against the Cleveland Guardians, but this is still a guy that I'm not necessarily too impressed with. He has been able to get 16 strikeouts and 17 and two-thirds innings, but has not went north of five innings really at all this season. I believe that he's done so just once throughout his career. And you take a look at it. 38 career innings has given up 8 home runs, 16 walks. So that's a walks per 9 rate of right around 4.2. A home runs per 9 rate that is relatively high as well. And Garrett Woodlock has proven to be a very good starter for this team. He was in long relief a little bit earlier this season. So between starts and relief appearances, 16 and 2 thirds innings giving up one run in the process. Now, he is not necessarily fully stretched out. You've got to think that the max for him is probably going to be five innings, probably going to be more like four innings, I would think, is probably what you're going to see. So you might need to rely upon Cutter Crawford, who has not necessarily been too great in the wrong relief out of the bullpen, but Eric Casasadamona is someone that you're able to trust in. Matt Stram is able to give you multiple innings as well. Jake Diekman has been solid out of the bullpen as well. And you do take a look at this Boston Red Sox lineup, and you do have guys that have been able to do a solid job of being able to get on base. Sander Bogarts has been amazing for this team. He's hitting a 360 right now. Rafael Devers got his fourth home run in the campaign yesterday. He's hitting a 300. He had 38 home runs last season. J.D. Martinez, he's back above 300 with regards to his batting average. Bottom lineup has been rough. Jackie Bradley Jr. is just a tad bad at this point. He, Kevin Ploiecki, you're able to throw in there. 
Kike Hernandez and Bobby Dahlbeck. These guys are aiming below the Mendoza line of 200, and Trevor Story just has not worked out at this point. I saw that coming, but you did take a look at the Angels. To their credit, the guys not named Shoei Otani and Mike Trout, maybe they will pick it up. Anthony Rendon has proven to be a big, giant waste of money. He and Jared Walsh are both hitting between a 220 and a... 215, but that's at Taylor Ward. He's hitting above a 360 right now and had three home runs in that series against the Cleveland Guardians. Max Icey has been able to do his old job of being a reach base for the team. Jack Mayfield is hitting above a 250. Joe Adele set fire to the rain. He's been able to give you a trio of home runs. And then you got Mike Trout with a 455 on base. He has been incredible for this team. The thing with the Angels is you've got two very good relievers. That would be Ryan Tepere along with Rossi Iglesias. Aaron Loop, I think, deserves to be in that conversation as well. You wind up having a 1 ERA. I always forget about him. Loop is very solid as well, but that said, when you've got Elvis Pagiro, Oliver Ortega, Kenny Rosenberg. These are guys that you don't necessarily want out there in the bullpen. I think that Detmers is going to get lit up. You're going to have to go to some of those longer guys, and that's going to cause for a little bit of an issue. So, did wind up saying the Red Sox at a minus 138, and after Laura looking over and a 9 or higher, going to be taking a look at an under. Now we wind up hitting one of these double dips. 921-922 is going to be the Pittsburgh Pirates in the road faceoff against the Detroit Tigers, and this is going to be in conjecture with 931-932, which is just game number two of this series. In game number one, it is going to be Dylan Peters going for the Pittsburgh Pirates and Michael Pineda, hoping to not be Michael Pineda for the Detroit Tigers. We wound up seeing an initial line of the Pittsburgh Pirates being right around a plus 135 to a plus 140 underdog with Pineda versus Peters and the Tigers being anywhere between minus 150 and minus 160 with 7.5 being your total with the over and the under anywhere between minus 105 minus 115. In game number 2, Jose Quintana is going to be going up against Alex Fado and right now you've got absolutely no numbers whatsoever on this game so we are just going to need to speculate there and in Quintana versus Fado, I do wind up setting the Tigers at a minus 127 which considering it's a poopy Pittsburgh Pirates, that's actually a relative low number. You take a look at Alex Fado and this is going to be his first career MLB start and he wound up missing the entirety of the pretty much 2020 and 2021 seasons due to Tommy John surgery. So he has appeared on a minor league mound four times since 2019. So I think that this is going to be very much a bullpen game for the Detroit Tigers. But with that said, the Detroit Tigers bullpen is actually relatively solid. I think that Fado could come in, give you like three or four solid innings. And then from there, you wind up turning it over to guys like a Michael Fulmer who's able to give you multiple innings. Drew Hutchinson who's able to give you multiple innings. Will Vest, Gregory Soto, these guys are relatively solid. So I do think that Fado not necessarily going to give the world's greatest start. And with that said, you do take a look at the the Detroit Tigers team, and they've been able to do an okay job of being reach base. They're hitting 232 as a collective. Not great, not terrible, but you take a look at Austin Meadows. He's hitting a 319 for the team. Tucker Barnard is back in the fold. He's hitting above a 300. Been very impressed by what I've seen out of Javi Baez thus far. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of RBI despite being missing for a few games. He's hitting right around 290. Miguel Cabrera's called down a little bit, but he still has right around a 315 on base. So, these guys have been solid. Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope. Spencer Torkelson, they're in below the Medellin's line of 200, so a little bit hit or miss with this lineup, but it's not bad. You do need a couple more home runs, and for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I feel like you're able to say the same thing. Both of these teams towards the bottom of the league with regards to total home runs with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right now, you've got 12 as collective. Daniel Vogelback and Michael Chavis have half of them. They've got three home runs apiece, and Daniel Vogelback, he's too chunky to be hitting leadoff, in my opinion. Maybe I'm just old school in that, but I mean, he's hitting a 290, so give him credit. Michael Chavis is in that neighborhood as well, and if had Diego Castillo be able to hit a 255 for you, but you do have a couple dead bats for the team. Brian Reynolds, who had a 300 last season. He's down to the Mendoza line of 200. Roberto Perez is in that neighborhood as well. Jake Marizic, Josh Van Meter, Cole Tucker. These guys are veterans. I've not necessarily been able to step up, but I was talking glowingly about the Tigers' bullpen, which was in the top eight with the Reds' bullpen ERA after the All-Star break last season. But take a look at the Pirates. 
Every single one of their nine wins have come from the bullpen. You now have Anthony Banda after he was away from the team for a few days. He saw David Bernard is someone I'm liking, Chris Stratton as well. And you do take a look at that second matchup between Kitana and Fado. And Kitana's been a little bit resurgent this year. He was absolutely terrible while he was with the LA Angels, but he's given up two runs or fewer in three out of his four starts. A man that has not really pitched a lot on the road thus far. And walks are a little bit of an issue. Eight walks in 19 innings, but has really been able to calm himself down. You go back to what he was able to do a few seasons ago, even just as recently as the 2019 season while he was with the Chicago Cubs. Wound up having a 13-9 record. That was more around a 468 ERA. Walks were a little bit of a kryptonite for him back then. He was averaging more in the neighborhood of a 3.3 strikeout to walk ratio. He is a guy that is going to give up a little bit of contact, but that said, he is someone that does an okay job of being able to keep the ball in the yard and then when it comes to what you're able to get out of Pineda versus Peters, you got to figure that Peters is going to be piggybacking off of what we wound up getting out of Bryce Wilson as well because they actually did this last week with the Milwaukee Brewers and these two guys wound up going a combined six innings, giving up no runs and won it. Dylan Peters is someone I like. He's going to be the official starter, 3-0 record. Hasn't really went north of three innings this season, but a guy that has allowed one hit in 13 and a third innings. He has been very good. He isn't even necessarily much of a swing and miss guy. More so than what you're able to get out of Mr. Bryce Wilson, who is averaging right around five and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but that said, I actually do like this tandem. Meanwhile, you take a look at Michael Pineda. He hopes to not be Mr. Michael Pineda. Wound up having a little bit of a rough start against the Minnesota Twins, giving up four runs over the course of five innings, but throughout his career, he's been able to do a better job of being able to limit our contact. Had a little bit of a rough go of it last season because he was dealing with injury, but you do take a look at what you're able to get out of him, and I do think that he's going to do a good job of being able to just not give up runs cheaply because he gives up a little bit over two walks per nine innings, so he has a good job of being able to command the ball with Pineda versus Peters. Set my line at a minus 159. So I'm going to be willing to take a look at the Detroit Tigers here on the money line. I was willing to take their run line as long as I was getting a plus 120 or greater. As of right now, with regards to that run line, I'm finding it at a plus 130. My wind up moving around a little bit. I would rather take more like a minus 150 money line just because you are rolling the dice a little bit in this spot. So at current numbers, we'll be looking a little bit more at the money line and in that spot as well. Do I end up setting my total at a 7.4? Peters versus Pineda currently seeing a total of 7.5, so I'd be taking a look at that under Kitana versus Fado. We currently have no numbers up for that, but I'm going to be willing to lay up to a minus 127 with the Tigers in that spot, so that a total of 8.3, so an 8 or lower looking over 8.5 prior to the under. Now we've got another messy situation. 9.23, 9.24, and 9.33, 9.34 is going to be the San Diego Padres in the road faceoff against the Cleveland Guardians, and Mike Clevenger is going to be going to game one for the Padres against Zach Plesak of the Cleveland Guardians, and then you go to game Game two, it's going to be Mackenzie Gore going for the Padres and then for the Guardians. It looks like it's going to be Cal Quantrill. When it was taken off the board yesterday, the Clevenger versus Plesak matchup wound up having San Diego right around a minus 130 favorite. It's been relisted with the Padres being a minus 125 favorite. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115 is what you're finding on the Guardians. Eight is your total over and under are both at minus 110. Right now in the Gore versus... Cal Quantrill matchup, you're finding a total on this one of 8, and you're finding a similar line with Padres being a minus 125 favorite, but that's only at DraftKings, and I think that they wound up just copying the line from game number 1, and it's a little bit of a typo, so we're going to be waiting to see what winds up happening there, but in both games, I did wind up saying the Padres as a favorite. 
little bit more of a slight favorite with Mackenzie Gore, set him at a minus 109, Clevenger a minus 124 with a Padres. So if we wind up getting down any further than a minus 125 like we've got right now, it is going to be a take on the San Diego Padres. And most books do not wind up having these up. So I'm going to be waiting on the AM anyway. But take a look at Mike Clevenger. It is going to be his first start since the 2020 season. He did wind up making a couple of relief appearances over there in the AAA level. And in eight and two-thirds innings at the AAA level, did wind up giving up just two runs, wound up having 15 strikeouts. So looked relatively solid. He's going to be going up against a guy in Zach Plesak that he always does a good job of being able to have command. He has given up just four walks in 21 and a third innings. That's the name of the game for him. But with that said, he is a guy that he does wind up giving up quite a bit of hard contact. You just take a look at him throughout the years and his hits given up per nine. It's right around an eight, eight and a half ish. So that is a little bit of an issue. And thus far this season, he has given up three home runs in 21 and a third innings. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to do a solid job of being able to put back to ball. The Cleveland Guardians have had one of the better offenses out there in all of baseball. 251 batting average despite the fact that Fran Mayo Reyes, who had 30 home runs while missing like 50-plus games last season, has been a hot mess for the team. But you've got Owen Miller, Andre Cimenez, and Stephen Kwan all hitting at least a 340 for the team. And then Jose Ramirez, he's been able to hit 7 home runs, 28 RBI, 421 on base for him. Heck, even Josh Naylor, Miles Straw, these guys are getting on base for you. Amid Rosario has been a little bit of a hot mess, but I like what I'm seeing there. And then you do take a look at the San Diego Padres, even without Fernando Tatis Jr. You've had a pair of guys, Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, be able to step up for the team. Both of these guys, north of a 4 40 on base, a combined 7 home runs and 30 RBI. Awesome Kim, who wanted coming over from the KBO, he's starting to figure it out. He's hitting at 250. He's got a trio of home runs and 50 at bats, so that has been good to see. The catching spot of Oriel Falero along with Austin Supernola. It's been a little bit intermissive. The outfield, Will Myers, Trent Grisham, Drakes, and Profar. They need to pick it up with the guys' batting average. You do have Profar giving you 5 home runs, but just a buck 76 batting average. I do take a look at the Padres, though, and because Clevenger not necessarily stretched out, you got to feel like they're going to need a little bit of long relief and if there's a team that they know to do so it's the Padres because last season you wound up having like Jake Arrieta and company wind up getting starts can't forget about Vinny Velo Denelson Lament by trade is a little bit more of a starter so he can give you multiple innings Craig Stammen along DeBell Crisman and Crisman has won three plus innings already this season these guys are able to do so so I do think that that is going to play into the advantage of the Padres I don't think that it's necessarily going to be a long start for Clevenger but I think it's going to be rather effective I set my total at 7.7 so if we wind up getting an 8 once again looking under, and I'm willing to lay up to a minus 124 with the Padres. Need at least a plus 124 to take a shot on the Guardians there, and then a 933, 934, Gore, and Quantrill. If I'm able to get a plus 110 or greater with Quantrill, I'm going to be willing to take a shot. I do think that the Padres have this Guardians team outgunned a little bit with regards to the bullpen, though the Guardians, they do have Emmanuel Classe. He's able to do a very solid job for this team, and then you take a look at some of the other guys for this team. You do have Eli Morgan who is able to give you multiple innings. That's probably going to be big in this spot. Nick Sandlin, Brian Shaw. These guys are relatively solid, but I do like this Padres bullpen, but take a look at Cal Quantrill. One of the more underrated starters out there in the big leagues. He has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last 10 starts, dating back to last season. And since the All-Star break of last year, he's got right around a three-ish ERA. Not a guy that is going to get a whole bunch of swings and misses. His strikeouts per nine rate for his career hovers right around a seven-ish, but he just does a good job not giving up a lot of cheap walks. Someone who, with regards to his home and road splits, they're not necessarily overly demonstrative, but still, 235 ERA at home last season. Gave up nine home runs at 92 innings. So he's able to do his best work at Cleveland and Mackenzie Gore. He has been rock solid in his first three starts of his career, giving up three runs over the course of those three starts. But that said, two of those starts wound up coming up against the Cincinnati Reds. That's a good way to be able to just bolster them in general. I do think that Gore has very much a lot 
lot of upside, but I do think that the Cleveland Guardians are going to be able to get to him a little bit. Cora has six walks in 15 and a third innings. Command could sometimes be a little bit of an issue as great swing and miss stuff. So this is going to be a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at a lower total. And Quantrill versus Gore, semi-total at 6.7. So if we see a 7 or higher, and I'd be very shocked if we get a 6.5 in this spot, I'm going to be taking a look at an under. And we wound up seeing it in double dips. In your five double headers that we've had this season, Game 2 has went under in all five of them. So that is something to take note of. So in Quantrill versus Gore, a 7 or higher looking under would be willing to take a plus 110 or greater with the Guardians in that spot with Quantrill going. And in Clevenger versus Plesak, one to lay up to a minus 124 with Clevenger and the Padres. So that was as clean as I could try to make it. Apologies if that was a little bit all over the place, but let's move on. 925-926 on the main board. The Walker, Texas Rangers hit the road face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be going for the Phillies. And Martin Perez is going to be on the bump for Texas. Your total on this game is 8. Over is any between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is any between even a minus 105. With the Phillies, it's any between minus 172 and minus 190. Meanwhile, plus price with Texas is any between plus 155 and plus 165. It's a spot in which I wound up saying the Phillies as a $2 favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take them here. Only question is money line or run line. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 110 on the run line. Currently, we're finding that run line, and we're between a plus 110 to a plus 115. I'm going to reduce the juice. I'm going to take a look at the run line, and with Martin Perez, it's not like it's been a bad start to the year for him. He doesn't deserve the 0-2 record that he has. As he's posted up a 3 ERA, give it up 5 walks in 21 innings, so he's actually done a solid job there throughout his career. His walks per 9 rate, north of 3, so he's been able to rein it in a little bit more, and take a look at it. He's won a combined 13 innings in his last two starts, giving up a combined 4 hits and 1 run along with 1 walk, so he has been good there. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression. He's been the beneficiary of getting some self-contact. I do think that the Phillies are going to be able to get to him, and Zach Wheeler was one of those guys that he wanted suffering from a little bit of a short spring training, but I think that the last start that we wound up seeing from him means that he is back. Six scoreless innings giving up one hit against the Colorado Rockies. They wind up having a couple walks in the process, but you take a look at what he was able to do at home last season, right around .6 home runs per nine innings. Posted up right around 2-3-ish ERA. I do think that he is going to be resurgent. I think that now that he's got a couple starts under his belt after that short spring training, he is back to being the Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler of old. And you take a look at this Philly team, and you do have to factor in a little bit the terrible fielding that we've seen out of Alec Boehm this season and he wound up having a bad error that wound up costing them yesterday, but he's still hitting above a 300 for this team. You've been able to get some good production out of Didi Gregorius, right around a 340 on base for Heat along JT Ryumito. Kyle Schwarber has not been able to do a terrific job of being able to get on base, but he's got seven home runs this season. You've been seeing quite a bit out of Nick Cassianis as well. He wound up getting the day off yesterday, but he and Bryce Harper, we all know that they're able to put back to ball. And you do take a look at this Walker, Texas Rangers team. Jonah Heim is hitting at 364 for this team, and Nate Lowe right around a 300, but got a lot of other guys that they leave something to be desired. Corey Seager has really been able to pick it up a little bit more recently, hitting a 275. He's got a double-digit amount of RBI, but Marcus Simeon has been a big, giant buster Rooney after he had 45 home runs last season. I think that he's currently stuck on zero still. Adolis Garcia was an all-star last year. He's hitting a 210. You've got both Cole and Willie Calhoun in below the middle of the line of 200 and for the Texas Rangers, one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. Joe Barlow is actually halfway decent for the team, but they really had to dive into it yesterday. Matt Bush, John King, you're even able to take a look at a little bit more of an ancillary guy like Brock Burke wound up having to throw 15 plus pitches. That's a little bit of an issue. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, you did wind up having to use up Nick Nelson, but you are going to have guys like a Brad Hand who is going to be available in this game. Corey Canable. It's something I do like as well. So I do think that Wheeler is being backed up by a very good bullpen. 
and I think that this is where Perez winds up seeing a little bit of regression. Do wind up seeing my total at a 7.8. Perez has been a little bit better this year. I do think that there's going to be regression, but I don't think that he's going to be quite as bad as the guy that we wound up seeing in Boston last year, and I think that Zach Wheeler is back and back in full force. So set my total at 7.8, looking under, and I'm going to be looking at the Phillies on the run line. 927-928 on the main board. The Kansas City Royals are going to be playing on the St. Louis Cardinals. Adam Wainwright, Wayno is going to be going for the cards, and Chris with the Gabe Bubich is going to be on the bump for Kansas City. Royals are finding themselves as an underdog in this spot. Anywhere between plus 120 and plus 135. Meanwhile, if you're looking at St. Louis, in between minus 135 and minus 145 is your price. 7.5 to 8 is your total. On the 8, under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 7.5, over is minus 120. And the under is even. With the St. Louis Cardinals, wind up setting them as a favorite here of minus 141. So, we are seeing some minus 135s and minus 140s. So, I'm going to be looking to lay it here. The Cardinals wind up opening up right around minus 135 to a minus 140. So, if you do like the Cardinals, probably want to take it overnight because it seems like the steam is starting to come in on them. And with Chris with the K. Bubich, it is a very interesting circumstance because at home, he wound up having a full point better on his ERA than on the road last season. Meanwhile, you take a look at what he's done at home this season, and it's been a hot mess now. Part of that is because he wanted being the starter in that Guardians game, which he wanted going less than an inning and got just completely tattooed. But, I mean, with that said, it has been a rough state of affairs for him, giving up three home runs at 12 innings, nine walks in 12 innings. So, I do think that there's only up to go from here. I think that he's been a little bit unlucky, and you take a look at Adam Wainwright. He's not looking as great as he did last season. Last season, he really picked it up after the All-Star break. Thus far, he's given up three-plus runs in three out of his last four starts, and the command hasn't been there. 12 walks in 27 innings. That's a little bit shocking to find with him. Strikeout numbers have actually been decent. 26 strikeouts in 27 innings. I think that you're going to see a little bit of reversal there, and for the Cardinals, they have been doing a nice job of being able to put back to ball. More so at home, though. They've been one of the best under teams on the road this season, but at home, they've been the best over team in all baseball. Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, both of these guys are worth of a 350 on base, and Edmond has been able to give the team a trio of homers. Nolan Arenado, one more needs to be said about him. 350 batting average, six home runs thus far this season. Even Albert Pools, Austin Kinzer, these guys have been able to get on base. Paul DeYoung, Dylan Carlson, they need to pick it up with Tyler O'Neill. but that said, very solid lineup. And then for the Kansas City Royals, you took a look at what they wound up throwing out there yesterday, and you had two guys that were hitting well above a 300, and Andrew Benatendi and Ed Olivares. Nobody else was hitting above a 235, which I find to be just hilarious because you had Salvador Perez, Whit Merrifield, you're able to throw in there Michael A. Taylor, Bobby Witch Jr., all hitting at 230 or lower. It's been a hot mess, and for Perez, he's only hitting a puck 80, though. With that said, he's got nearly half the team's homers with five thus far this season. You did wind up getting Bobby Witt Jr., by the way, to get his first career home run yesterday, so congratulations to him, but they have not been able to do a great job there, and for the Royals. I do expect positive progression with regards to their bullpen. Josh Shaman is someone that I'm very high on. They are currently missing Jake Brents, but Scott Barlow is able to do a solid job. Never been necessarily too bullish on Amir Gareth, though, but you do take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen as well. One of the top five bullpens with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues, CJ McFarland has been able to do a nice job for you. Giovanni Gallegos, Genesis Cabrera. These guys have been locked down as well. Even Nick Wickren, who winds up coming in from the Cleveland Guardians. He's been able to do a nice job as well. So I do take a look at the Cardinals. 140 or less, I'm going to be willing to lay it with them. And when it comes to Soto, I did wind up setting it at a 7.3. It's been a very soft hitting. Can't say Royals seem to say the least. And with the Cardinals, they're in at home. They're not hitting so much on the road. And I like both of these bullpens. So I'm willing to take the 7.5 under. And I'm willing to take the St. Louis Cardinals. And the last play is going to be the DK Nation pick. 929-930 on the bang board. Chicago White Sox hit the road faceoff against the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks is going to be going for the Cubs, and Lucas Chilito is going to be going for the White Sox. Currently, we've got no numbers up on 
the total because it is Wrigley Field. It is all based on what the wind is, so you're not going to see bookmakers for the most part post a total until the AM, but I can tell you right now, wind was very much blowing in yesterday, and you can expect much more of the same here on Wednesday, but with that said, on the money line, you're finding the White Sox anywhere between a minus 140 to a minus 145. Meanwhile, with the Cubbies, you're going to be finding them between plus 120 and as high as a plus 132, and DK Nation pick here is going to be on the Cubs. Pretty much any plus price, I was going to be one to take a shot here on the Cubs. I wound up setting it right around a plus 102, plus 103. I just made it to where the White Sox were as slight as light of a favorite as it gets because I felt like this was very much a 50-50 game and getting the professor at home is very big because throughout his career, Kyle Hendricks has an ERA that's about a point and a half lower when he's at home rather than when he's on the road. It's been a little bit of an up and down season for him thus far, but you do take a look at him and as seems to always be the case at home, Kyle Hendricks has been very solid, giving up three runs over the course of his three starts and he's been giving up a couple more walks than normal, 11 walks in 24 and two-thirds innings needs to button up a little bit with that regard, but you do take a look at Lucas Giolito and he wound up coming off of a little bit of an injury in his last two starts. Has looked decent coming off of injury. 10 innings pitch, giving up four runs. They wind up giving up two home runs and walks have always been a little bit of an issue for him. Six walks given up in 14 innings. He's got a career well north of three walks per nine innings rate and you do take a look at this White Sox team. They had the same record as the Cubs coming into the series at 9-13 and 13, and it's not been going well from Liam Hendricks has been dealing with a little bit of an injury out there in the bullpen. I do like what I'm seeing out of Kendall Graveman but they were only able to get four innings yesterday out of Michael Kopech so you had to see guys like Jose Ruiz, Reynaldo Lopez, wind up coming out of the bullpen. And for the White Sox, they've been a little bit of a mess when it comes to their lineup. You've got Eloy Jimenez, who's been dealing with a little bit of an injury. And then on top of that, you got Josh Harrison, Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal, AJ Pollock, Adam Engel, all hitting at 225 or lower for this team. Really, you take a look at it, and you wind up having two guys in the lineup yesterday that wound up leaving with a batting average above a 235. And one of those guys, Tim Anderson, always very good at being able to put back to ball, got his fourth home run season. But you look at the Cubs, and this has been one of the more reliable offenses out there in all baseball. Ian App has north of a 300 batting average. Power numbers are a little bit down, but he's been able to get on base. Alfonso Rev- Rivas has been able to do a nice job hitting well above a 3 for the CMCA Suzuki as regressed a little bit, but still four home runs north of a 360 on base percentage. We were talking about this with Danny Burke, Patrick Wisdom. He's been able to give you some hard contact. He's got right around 300 on base. Jason Hayward even has been able to get on base. And for the Cubs, they did wind up having to use up quite a bit of their bullpen. Keegan Thompson wound up being a little bit of a bulk guy for them yesterday, but they did wind up preserving a few of their bullets. Like a Michael Givens is going to be able to go in this one. Sean Newcomb can give you multiple innings if needed, but the professor, very good at being able to go deep in a lot of these situations as well, and I think that that's going to be very beneficial to a Cubs team that they did wind up having to utilize a little bit of a bullpen game yesterday. So, DK Nation pick is going to be on the Cubs on the money line, pretty much any plus price. I was willing to take a shot here, and with the wind blowing in, looks like it's going to be between 10 and 15 miles an hour. I said my total at 6.7, so 6 half or lower going to be looking at in over and a 7 or higher. Going to be taking a look at an under and that will wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now a part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind letters here. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated and then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. And got to give a shout-out once again to my man Danny Burke over there at VSIN doing absolutely terrific work with the show Rush Hour out there from the great state of Illinois. So big thanks to him for joining me in the second segment. And big thanks to you guys for tuning in tonight. And I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.